Uh, John 17, last week we were in John 16. I, I left off uh, a few verses there in John 16, of course. We know that, again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is the discourse right before he goes to the cross. And, and uh, he tells them that a comforter will come. He says uh, in verse 13, he said, The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you in all truth. He, will, he, he shall not speak of himself. Uh, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, he uh, is telling the disciples that the Comforter, that's what he called him in previous verses, the Holy Spirit. He then said uh, that it will be an advantage for you that I go so that he can come. And uh, these, these, these disciples are sorrowful. They're, they're depressed because Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, is leaving them. And uh, he's going away. Where's he going? He's going to the cross. He's going, uh, this is just a few hours before he would be captured in Gethsemane and would be led astray to be crucified. Uh, I want to invite you this morning to John 17 and to the prayer closet of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the, we, 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 we refer to Matthew and the model prayer. Uh, we call that the Lord's Prayer, but this is the real Lord's Prayer. This is actually the Lord praying versus it being a model prayer on how we ought to pray. And by the way, the way that Jesus prayed in Matthew is the way this is. He, he models it in John 17, but it's very specific. And it's, it's, matter of fact, John Knox said that this is the chapter in which his life was anchored in John 17. And so I want to give you some thoughts out of this as we listen to God uh, speak to the Father. William Barclay said that we can only grasp fragments of this at a time. There's no way that we can take in all of John 17 in one gulp. There's no way we can uh, ha handle it because there's so much in John 17. Matter of fact, you can read John 17 in four minutes. There's only just a few verses, I think 26 verses in the whole chapter, but uh, in order to really soak and saturate yourself in this and study it, you've got to spend a lot of time in John 17. I tried my best, I don't know if I'll get through it all, but I tried my best to, as a pastor and a student of the Bible, and just, uh, I tried my best. I told my wife this morning, this is not an easy passage to preach, very convicting but very encouraging. Uh, but it's not an easy passage because it is the Lord's Prayer. The pressure that's on him, the agony that he's about to face, you can understand. Who does he pray for? Does he pray for himself? Does he pray for others? Does he pray for his enemies? Does he pray? Well, uh, we see in our text that he begins and he, he does pray to the Father, but he prays mostly for us, for you, for me. Let's turn to our study of John's gospel in John chapter 17. We're going to study in verse number 1. The Bible says this, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. I want you to notice his stature as he prays. We in our Western culture, we bow our heads and close our eyes, which is, which is culturally right. I mean, we, we do that. But Jesus, as he's speaking to the Father, lifts his eyes up and he looks and addresses the Father. What is this? This is talking to his Father, His... And by the way, we see that in, from John 14 to John 17, 53 times Jesus refers to Him as Father. And by the way, you won't see an Israelite in the Old Testament refer to God as the Father. Jesus introduces this to His disciples. He is our Father. I'll say a little bit more about that, but He, he has the right posture. Father, the hour has come... 
Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of the cross. Where was Jesus most glorified? Listen, where was Jesus most glorified? Jesus was most glorified when he was put on the cross. What the Romans thought was going to be a terrible thing, what the Romans thought was was going to be torture, what the Romans thought was going to be a cruel death, and by the way it was, Jesus said, I would be glorified that I may glorify thee. Who's he glorifying? The Father. It was about the will of the Father. So he, look at verse 2. And as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I love that. And this is life eternal, so he gives us the definition. It's way better than Webster's Dictionary. Jesus actually gives us the, the definition of life eternal. It's found in verse 3, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. By the time Jesus came and by his life, the name of God or what we call Yahweh or what was referred to Yahweh was considered so sacred that the, the uh, translators, the people that would pin down, when they would come to that word, they would actually wash their hands and they would take a new quill and they would write that name, then they would dispose of that quill and begin to write more. Why? It was such a sacred name. They came to that God name. And there's many names for God. There's Elohim, there's Creator, uh, which means Creator, Jehovah, which means Redeemer, Jehovah Jireh, different names. But look at verse 6 of chapter 17. The Bible says, And I have manifested thy name unto the men. He did not say, "I've I've told them thy name. He said, I've showed them thy name. The life in which Jesus lived, he did not just say it, he showed it. And by the way, what a great example for us. That if the world is going to see God, they're going to have to see it through our lives, right? Jesus said, I have manifested there uh, the name of Christ, the name of God. I have manifested that. And Jesus said, I have revealed your name to my disciples. The name. The name Father is used, as I said, 53 times from chapter 14 to chapter 17. And every time Jesus prayed to God, He called Him Father in the New Testament only but one time. One time Jesus, when He prayed, did not call Him Father. When was that? It was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, why didn't He say Father? Because our sin was on Him. And sin hinders the relationship. He could not call Him Father. There are several requests that in this prayer that I want us to notice Jesus praying. And listen, I, I can preach messages and I can allude to the prayer life of Spurgeon. I can uh, uh, allude to the prayer life of Andrew Murray. I can allude to the prayer life of Ian Bounds. I can allude to the prayer life of, of John Knox and different ones. But when we talk about the prayer life of Jesus, every one of us should listen. Because there is no prayer life like the Savior's prayer life. Jesus is passionate that you and I experience a few things that's listed in this prayer. The first thing is this. The prayer request number one that Jesus prayed was intimacy with the Father. Go go back to verse 1 of of chapter 17 and listen to the words that he spake. He said, These spake Jesus as he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... 
The hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Now, I want you to notice the wording. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now, here's the wording in verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they may know, that they might know thee. Here's what he said. My first prayer is this, that I want them, my disciples and believers, to have an intimate relationship with you. That's what he wanted. An intimate relationship with you. Now listen, I have to tell you this. There is something special about being prayed for. Jesus is praying not for himself. Jesus is praying. He said, God, I want them to have a relationship with you. He's praying for us. Matter of fact, in this chapter, uh, you can actually insert your name in some of these verses. Like verse number 3, for instance, in, in uh, John 17, 3. You, you could put your name, and now, O Father, glorify Stephen with thine own self with the glory. So in verse, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I read the wrong, uh, in, in verse 3, he said, And this is life eternal, that Stephen might know thee. Verse 3. That Stephen might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I just went ahead and put my name in some of these verses. Why? Because Jesus prays for us. Make it personal. Amen. Make it personal. You're not changing the words of it. You're just putting your name. It's becoming real to you. When you say, you know what? Jesus is praying for them. That means he's praying for me. That I might know him better, that I may have a relationship. Hey, write your name in that chapter. He's praying for you. Imagine that this morning. He is praying for you. He's on the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you and for me. That ought to encourage you. And and what is he praying for? He's praying that we might have a greater relationship with the Father. That's what he's praying right here in John 17. That we may know him. And this is eternal life, is what he said. Life eternal in John 17. And he gives us the definition. The Father is viewed throughout the New Testament as the fountain of divinity, the head of the triune God. To refer to the Father is to refer to as the divine counsel, the will of the triune God. And Jesus has already made it clear that He and the Father are equally divine, right? He's made that very clear. And yet the Son came to uh, present or represent and fulfill the will of the Father. So He's come. So, So to come to know the Father, is to come to know the triune God and you can't know the Father unless you know the Son and you can't know the Son unless you know the Father. Why? They're the same. Now back to this interesting definition of eternal life. The phrase, or life eternal in verse 3, the phrase is often understood as a duration of time. If I were to ask a lot of folks this morning, uh, what do you believe the definition of eternal life would be? Many of you would say, well, it's just living forever. It's, it's duration. It's a long... But that's not what Jesus said in verse 3. He said eternal life or life eternal is that they might know thee. So it's not a duration of time. It is a relationship. I was in a conference recently and. 
there was a speaker there. He was over a counseling ministry. I was down in Texas, and he, he got up and he said this. He said, I don't know if this is completely accurate, and I'm sure there's specific illustrations and examples. But he said, I have come in dealing with teenagers and dealing with even men. He said, I have come to the understanding that most men that had an absent father or a father who did not spend time with them are men that are enamored with toys. Now, don't go to my office because I do have toys down there. I don't think that's what he was talking about. I do have toys. You need to see my office at times. I love toys. It wasn't because my dad was absent. He was very present, very good dad. But the toys that he was referring to is men live vicariously as they, they're, they're almost rehashing their childhood in their older years. They have to have the best of the best, the nicest of the nice, the big bass boats and the, and, the, and, the, and the luxury cars, and they have to fulfill an empty void that was not given. And this man, he's a professional, he's a, he's a psychiatrist, a counselor. He said, I've dealt a lot with these men who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars keeping up with the toys, all the while just trying to fulfill a void that's, that's empty. Jesus said, life is not about toys. Eternal life is not about what you possess in the physical and in the material things. Life eternal is about a relationship. It's a man by the name of Malcolm Forbes. Malcolm Forbes, was a, he had a big publishing empire. He was a billionaire. He, he owned property everywhere. And this man would, I mean, he had castles in France. He this man had more money than he knew what to do with. He would fly his friends on a private jet to an island just for the day and would fly them back and, and they would eat nice food and they would do all these things. And, and then just, just, that was his life. He said this, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, I have to say, Mr. Forbes, that life is not about possessions. Life is about relationships. The most miserable people in the world are people that have everything physically but nothing in a relationship. And I listen, relationships with God, of course, but even relationships with others. Those things will fade away. Uh, listen, it's possible the American obsession with cars and toys, and by the way, I'm not against those things. Matter of fact, if you have those things, they're, they're nice, and they're, but, but don't let those things have you. And see, a lot of times those things keep people away from that relationship with the Lord. The solution is not to go back and if you missed out time with your father to bait a hook and try to capture many of you, maybe your father's already gone. Maybe, maybe he's deceased and maybe he's never been really in the picture so you can't do that. Guess what you do? You find that relationship with God. You fill that void. John writes that in his epistle in uh, in, in chapter 5, in verse 20, life is not about having the biggest and the best and the most expensive and the newest. He, he, Jesus prayed in verse number 3, Father, I want them to know Thee. I want them to know You intimately. I want them to know You in a deep way. I want You to, to, to get to know my Father. Here's the prayer request number 2. It's not just intimacy with the Father, but security of our salvation. The security of our salvation. Now, I want you to go down to verse number 9. The Bible says this, that I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't care. It's not talking about that he didn't care for the world. 
But Jesus right now specifically praying for his disciples. He's saying, Lord, if, if we're going to reach the world, if these men are going to impact the world, they're going to have to know you. Look at verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, these men. And I am come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Now, sometimes the first error that to overcome is to think that Jesus is praying exclusively just for his disciples. But then we, 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 we sometimes come and say, well, he didn't really have much concern for the world. But the fact of the matter is Jesus must have concern for the world in order for him to pray for his disciples to reach the world. So he does care about the world. The point is Jesus is praying for our protection, for our security, which is a prayer that certainly cannot be prayed for the world because they're not of his. But look at verse number 12 again. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now someone in here or someone listening may say, well, pastor, it sounds like to me that of the 12, Jesus had one that he lost. But can I say you can't never lose anything that you never had. Judas was never his. The son of perdition in verse 12 is speaking of Judas. Matter of fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be betrayed. All Judas was was fulfillment of prophecy. It had to happen. In these verses, the Lord makes it perfectly clear. Judas was never his own. So Jesus is turning over his guardianship of his chosen ones to the Father. What's he doing? And by the way, I think this is a great way. Jesus is praying. And, and Jesus points us to salvation, but he, he gives us God's view of salvation. Look with me in verse number 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men. Now notice this which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, that, and they kept thy word. So, so what Jesus is saying, this is, this is God's view of salvation, that God knew before the foundation of the world those that would be in him, those that would receive Christ, but then he gives us our view of salvation. Look with me in uh, verse number 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. Now notice this phrase. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Hey, it always requires belief in order to be saved. Amen. And though God always knew, he knew before the foundation of the world who would be in him, it did require us to believe that He is the Son of God. It did require us to put our faith in Him. And so we see in just this prayer two views of salvation. And can I say this? We can't lose salvation. We are sealed in Him. He gives it to the Father. Jesus is turning over His guardianship of His chosen ones to the Father. He's placing us in the Father's hands. And by the way, no man can pluck us out of the Father's hands. Matter of fact, Charles Stanley said this. He said, if Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, and yet we can somehow become unsaved, therefore undo what Christ came to do, wouldn't it be wiser for God to take us home to heaven the moment we are saved to ensure that we make it? 
Isn't it really risky to force us to stay here knowing that we might lose salvation? My friend, listen. We can't lose our salvation. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people out here that will teach that you could lose your salvation, that you somehow you can fall from grace. But can I say, if you can lose something, that means that you had to do something to earn it. Amen? You can't get it free because Jesus paid for it on the cross of Calvary. Therefore, you can't lose it because we're sealed into the day of redemption. We cannot lose it. He says, Holy Father, keep them in thy name. What's he saying? Keep them in salvation. Well, well that may be some, but, but when we're sealed and we're held in the Father's hands, but he's keeping us from evil. He's keeping us from danger. He's keeping us from all these different things, and we're sealed and kept and protected. Matter of fact, it was one man by the name of Juan Hortez who, uh, Ortiz, rather, he, he spoke of a conversation that he had with a circus trapeze artist. I don't know if you've ever been to the circus before, but I enjoy the, 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 the trapeze, different ones that are swinging and uh, real high, and they're walking uh, balance ropes and, and, and riding bikes across it and flying across different places. But, but there's always a safety net. Have you noticed the net? I mean, if there wasn't a net there, uh, we, we could do trapeze in here one Sunday and have somebody swing over here and swing over there. Might, might hold your attention a little better. But here's what they said when this man talked to this trapeze artist. This, this trapeze artist said this, the net also keeps us from falling. Imagine if there was no net, we would be so nervous that we would be more likely to miss and fall because of our nerves. If there wasn't a net, we would not dare to do some of the things that we do to all the crowd. Because there's a net, we flip one time and two times and sometimes even three times because we know that if we fall, there's something to protect us. Juan Ortiz said this, we have security in God. When we are sure in His arms, we dare to attempt big things for God. We dare to be holy. We dare to be obedient. We dare because we know that the eternal arms of God will hold us whenever we fall. Isn't that good? There is a net, and it's God's hands, and He holds us, and we can attempt to do big things. You say, well, pastor, what if I fall? He's there for you. He'll catch you. He'll protect you, and He will keep you. Here's the third request that we have. Is, and by the way, people that say this about eternal security, oh, you're just giving people a license to do whatever and live whatever. Well, let me just say, Jesus took care of that in His prayer. Because the next prayer, look at verse 15. He said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that they or thou shouldest keep them from the evil. By the way, that's a great verse. Be easier for him just to snatch us out. But he said, keep them there, but protect them, keep them from evil. Let their light shine. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, you know, he goes into sanctification. He goes into a set apart. These people are set apart for the master's use. I have something for them. Matter of fact, this is not sinless perfection because Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself. Why would Jesus say I sanctify myself if this is sinless perfection? There was no sin in our Savior. So he says I've got a special job for them, a special mission for them. Sanctify them. The Greek word, Hagamos, which means to set apart for holy service. Do you know this morning if you've been saved by the grace of God that you've been set apart for holy service? 
that you've been set apart. There is a specific uh, plan for your life. There's a specific purpose for your life. What are you doing with your life? You've been set apart. Jesus is praying that the believer will have contact with the world without being contaminated by the world. You know what he's saying? Be in the world, but not of the world. By the way, you can still live a holy life in the world. You don't have to act like the world and talk like the world and and walk like the world and go to the world stuff and say, well, I just can't handle it. No, you can. Why? He's praying for us. He's praying for us. He's given us a comforter. Hey, one of the primary reasons we're not winning the world is because we're providing, listen, we're, we're like them. There's nothing different. When people walk into the church, they can't tell between the church and the nightclub. They walk in, they say, well, man, I was just in this last night. We're just putting Jesus' words in it. Let me just say this. There ought to be a difference. There ought to be a difference. I'm not talking about walking around like a bunch of Buddhist monks. I'm talking about, hey, alive. Hey, you you look like you're you're, 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 uh, in love with Jesus, but different. And by the way, that's not just Sunday. That's Monday. He said, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Here's what Jesus was separated for service. For the believer, we're separated for service. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And Jesus is praying that the believer will have contact with the world, but not be contaminated. Now, the issue of personal hagamos or separation is different subject. It's different in itself. It's spelled out in Scripture, but there are some what I would call even gray areas. Now, don't before you throw stones at me, there's some places where it's real loud. Jesus speaks very clearly in black and white, do not do this. Then there's other areas where he's really quiet. We call them a, a gray area. But you understand, we still have weaker brothers and sisters around us. So where you have Christian liberties... You've got to think about the weaker brother and you say, you know what, if I partake of this, could it cause them to fall? Or, or in other words, would it cause them to, their faith to be crushed? It may not be sinful. We, we may not say, well, show me a verse in the Bible. I, 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 I can't. But how is their faith because of your lifestyle? How's their faith? If you were to walk into a place and you see me doing something that you know, well, I just don't, I don't know if preachers should do it. Well, if preachers shouldn't do it, you shouldn't either. If it would cause you to think less of Christ, if it would cause you to think less of our church, if it would cause you to say, man, I, uh, you know, I, I thought a little bit more about him before, that is not above reproach. We should be above, in our dealings with people, in our lifestyle, in the way that we live. You say, well, pastor, I just believe it's a little hard message. No, it's a great prayer. This is not my message. This is a prayer of Jesus. Sanctify thyself. You're, you're set apart. You're different. Hey, listen, you're, you're a peculiar people. It doesn't mean that you go out here and act weird. That means that you're set apart. Peculiar people, we've always thought, well, we've got to be weird, weird Christians. We've got to act weird. No. It means that you're not of the world. I know a bunch of peculiar people. They're not necessarily peculiar Christians. They're just weird. But the world maybe look at us and says, y'all are weird. And I look at the world and I say, well, you're weird. These are weird times. They don't have any right to call us weird. They can't even figure out what bathroom to go into. 
You can't even call them a he or her. What? I was filling out something this week, and they said, what pronoun do you prefer? Him. He. That dude. That guy. Him. He. How hard is that? And you're saying that we're weird. No, 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 no. Jesus said, sanctify them. The world should not embrace that culture. The world should not say, well, we're going to embrace. We might offend them. Listen, Jesus offends. They're offended at the name of Jesus already. You might as well offend them all the way. We're not going to start putting different things. Listen, we know that God in the beginning, God created, and we're going to take it right there, and that settles it. That settles it. And that, by the way, that's a black and white issue. We know there's no debate. There is no gray area. Amen. Hey, we know that. There is no weaker brother on that. We know what that is. But here's the deal. We don't have to go into that and say, well, let's just have some compassion and let's just be... Hey, I'm all about reaching people with the gospel, but let's not lower and dip ourselves into that junk. Stand for something. Stan, I have a bunch of stuff written down, but for sake of time, I'm just going to go right to the last prayer. Let me just say this. Do you have convictions? Man, I live in a, we live in a modernistic world where we just, nobody will stand for nothing. I mean, they just don't stand for anything. And Jesus said, sanctify them. And here's what we want to do. We want to sanctify them through all other things but truth. But truth. Let me tell you something. The world has a problem with truth. Anybody that says anything about truth, they've got a problem with it. Speak the truth, but let's not cower down. We are sanctified by the truth. Thy word is truth. This is already settled in heaven. The word of God is settled in heaven. There's no debate. There's no reason for us to say, well, but that could, no, I just don't know if that, no, no, no. Let's believe it. This is not a popular message in 2023. But here's what I've discovered. There's still a remnant that really wants it. There's still people that are saying, hey, bring the truth on. Bring the truth on. So do you have any convictions? Jesus Christ is praying that you will live a sanctified life. Set apart for holiness, for a distinctive in witness, for effective in ministry. He said, oh, Father, I pray that you will make them pure through thy word. Thy word is truth. Here's the last request. We skipped one there, Jake. Stay with me, buddy. Go to prayer request three because they need to know it. No, you don't have it? All right. I caught him sleeping. By the way, that's my son. Purity in the world. Purity in the world. Number four is this. Purity in the church or unity in the church. Unity in the church. Look, look with me in verse 20 and I'm through. Neither pray I these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now notice his wording. That they all may be one. As thou... Father art in me, and I need, we see the deity right here. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The prayer is for unity. Jesus actually prays for unity right here, and he says they will be one. He doesn't, he doesn't pray for uniformity. There's a difference between unity and uniformity, right? Uniformity, if I preach uniformity, that means all of you have to look and act the same. 
Now, how weird is that? Talking about weird. I've preached in church before where everybody kind of looked alike. I'm like, what is this? I mean, it is. It's a little different. You come to Bible Baptist, everybody don't look alike. I like it. By the way, it's not about our uniform. It's about our unity. What unites us? Jesus said, that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I am thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The unity is based on truth. If you go back to sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What? Just a few verses down. We are united in truth. Church, what, what holds us? What bonds us together? Truth bonds us together. Truth that we believe that Jesus Christ is God. And that Jesus was God in the flesh. And that we believe that the Spirit of God has been sent when Jesus went back to the Father and He's interceding for us now. And the Spirit of God indwells each believer. We believe that and they're all one. We believe in a bodily resurrection. We believe in a vicarious death. We believe in a bodily return, in a physical return. Jesus Christ will come. We believe that. We believe that it's the blood that saves. We believe that you're saved by grace and through faith. And we believe that we're sealed into the day of redemption. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that these truths hold us together. Now, if we were to interview many of us in here today, we might differ on a few things. I'm sure as a pastor, we may not line up on little things and little preferences and little, little things in the Bible. That's fine. And we can, we can still be unified. Why? Because of the central truths that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to talk the same. We don't have to live on the same side of the tracks. We don't have to have the same skin color. We just have to have the same blood running through our veins. And it's the eternal blood of the Father that when... when Listen, when we die, we're going to the same place. And we have that. And listen, we know that this is what Jesus prayed for, for unity. And when people see the word unity, they automatically think, let's just get some denominations together and let's just present our plan to the world. That's not what he means. The trouble is many churches and denominations do not believe the truth about Jesus Christ. Listen, I can, I can have a brother across town that's a different denomination, but if he believes that in the eternal security of the believer, of who Jesus Christ is God, if he believes the gospel, the death, the burial, resurrection, we can have some fellowship. We can have fellowship. He doesn't have to look the way I do or be in the same church. He doesn't have to even be Baptist. But can I say this? When you deny those doctrinal truths, I'll be nice to you, but we can't have good fellowship. Oh, I'll be kind to it, but we're not going to have... Listen, for the first time in seven years, I had Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door last week. First time in seven years, we live out in the country. They were their own purpose. I seen that car pull in, three or four people got out. And I told, honey, I, I told Rebecca, I said, honey, um, we're about to get... She said, who's out there? <laughs> you come to see us, you, you know, you're not there on accident. I said, I believe it's the, it's the Jehovah's Witness. She said, don't answer that door. I said, I'm going to go answer that door. <laughs> then she got on the phone and started calling the rest of the road. Hey, they're coming, they're coming. <laughs> 
So I went out to the, to the driveway and I said, honey, I, I, I didn't say honey to the person, but I said, uh, sir, I said, listen, keep, keep your literature. I said, I'm not going to be unkind to you today. I said, I, I realize that, you know, what y'all are doing, you believe, strongly believe. I said, but this, I'm saved, I'm born again. I love Jesus. And the rest of this road loves Jesus. I said, he's a pastor. That guy goes to my church, yet I'm still worried about his salvation. That's my father-in-law. And uh, I said, the people at the end of the road, they're saved. And I said, I said so there's no need to go down this road. And, and I felt like I'm the protector of the road because we're on the very end. So they got in their car and they, they pulled back out onto the main road and left. Listen. We can't have, I can't say, now y'all come on in, get a cup of coffee. Y'all want, I, come on in. You say, pastor, that's awful me. No, 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 no. The Jesus that they're preaching is not the Jesus of the Bible. You say, I don't understand that. I just, no, I wasn't unkind. I just said this, listen, we can't have fellowship because you're telling people another way to heaven. Well, we, we can't do that. You can't fellowship with those that are preaching what Paul called another gospel. We must stand for something. We must stand for something. Our, our unity matters. Look at verse 23, and I'm through. He said, or verse 22, And in the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. That's the unity. And I am them. And thou and me, that they may be perfect, made perfect in one, or complete, and that the world may know that they, that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. There's the unity. Jesus asked the Father, O Father, make the church worldwide and this local church unified. Make them a unit that they may win the world to Christ. Now you want to see the heartbeat of God, just go down to verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. I love this part. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Isn't that a wonder? He starts out with love. He ends his prayer with love. Church, we ought to have love in us. What does love produce? It produces a unity. It produces a unity. We ought to love Jesus. We ought to love the Father. And we slip out of this sacred prayer closet that I invited you in at the beginning of the text. We've been privileged to hear the Savior whisper his deepest, most desirous prayer to the Father. Boy, I challenge you, go back today or tonight and reread this prayer that Jesus prayed. What a privilege. What are his requests? Intimacy with the Father, security of our salvation, purity in this world and unity in our church. What a prayer. What a God. What a Savior. Amen.